0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Latching Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Jared Pruger alongside Kevin Quigley and Joe Smeltzer. Gentlemen, we're, we're, we're coming to grips with Penn State losing their defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, who went to Duke. Some on this podcast think that that's a step down or a lateral move. Some of us think that that is a step up. But no matter what way you look at it, Manny Diaz is now at Duke. And Penn State is tasked with finding a new defensive coordinator, which this late in the cycle, even though it's only December 10th, is not an easy situation for the Nittany Lions.
1: No, it's certainly not. I will rat myself out. I do not think taking the head coaching job at Duke is as big of a step up um, as being the top defensive coordinator in the country or in the conversation of at least top three is it a step up on title? Yeah, it certainly is being the head coach, running your own ship, all of the stuff that comes with being a head coach. But it's it's Duke. And as a as the renowned ACC hater that I am, it's a mid-level program in the ACC. They're not going to have their starting quarterback Riley Leonard's probably going to Notre Dame if he doesn't follow Elko to Texas A&M. And Duke has a good defense. He's going to inherit that. What kind of coordinators can he build? And if he starts repeating the success that he had at Mac at Miami or lack thereof, I I mean, I wish him all the best. Let's I'm not wishing him any, uh, unsuccessfulness if that's how I want to phrase it, but I just thought that he'd leave for a team who is that perennial or historically that perennial top 25 program. If you're a top 25 program, you're probably not firing your head coach. Um, but you go to a team who's usually in the top 25 who's maybe down and out for a couple of years just had a bad run of recruiting cycles bad transfer portal performance what have you um, I just don't see going to Duke who really fizzled out once Riley Leonard got hurt and yeah I just I wish him all the best and Jared you mentioned it is December 10th the, the hiring phase of college football is two weeks a two weeks gone. It seems like at this point in time, and it's going to be very difficult. Uh, There are probably four or five names out there that Penn state's looking at. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in, but you know, Manny best of luck. And the good news about the James Franklin philosophy is say he tells the players, you, you commit to me. It doesn't matter who the coordinators are. And it seems like the players that do commit to Penn state do go to that mindset. And that's why Penn State has had good success in not losing players to the transfer portal. So they've lost both coordinators and haven't lost a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I think this makes perfect sense um, for many of ideas, both from a timing standpoint and from an opportunity standpoint. So from a timing standpoint, Manny Diaz, frankly, came to Penn State with very little to prove as a defensive coordinator, if anything. And now it's hard to say that he has anything to prove as a coordinator at all after that two-year run. I mean, they had, they were the number one total defense in America this season. You literally cannot do any better than that. So I, I disagree kind of with the notion that, um, Kevin, you called Duke a mid-level job, uh, which is fair, but there's people out there who act like Duke is Vanderbilt and 15 years ago. Yeah, that probably would have been a fair assessment, but you look at uh, the past two coaches that have gone to Duke, um, Mike Elko kind of got comfortable there, stayed there for uh 14 seasons, turned down an opportunity at Tennessee among, um, along with, I'm sure a bunch of other opportunities. And then I say, my, I said, David Cutcliffe, uh, Mike Elko is the guy that just left for Texas A&M and got a big fat contract out So um, looking at Duke's recent coaching history, you've you've gotten the guy who's who got comfortable coaching Duke, which would be a good scenario for Manny Diaz, and you have the guy that kind of cashed in and got a bigger job, which would also be a good scenario. So, Duke definitely is, I think, um, a place where it's possible to win. These guys went nine and four last season, probably. There's a good chance it would have won nine games again this year if Riley Leonard uh, didn't go down, but still went seven and five. Have a chance to win an eighth game against West Virginia, Um, but yeah, I think uh, Diaz really had has nothing left to prove as a defensive coordinator, and I think uh, he obviously wants to be a head coach again and wants to be a coach, um, maybe at a place that where there isn't the pressure that comes with being a perennial, you know, football first school. He was at Miami from 2016 uh, to 21, not counting that hilariously brief time as Temple's head coach. And then he leaves Miami and goes to Penn state, which is another football school. So um, I think the fact that Duke's down South helps. And I think the fact that it's, it doesn't really come with the pressures that Duke or Miami does that might have helped the uh, make that decision too. So yeah, I think it's a pretty good scenario. And I think, He'll do quite well, and either uh, get comfortable there, stay there a while, or parlay that um, into um, a bigger, uh, higher-paying job, the way Mike Elko just did. So,
0: exactly, and I think that's the thing. You know, we talk and listen. I, I will go on the record saying that I am not a Duke fan whatsoever with my allegiances to Carolina basketball. So, like the last time I, the next time that I say anything good about Duke basketball is, in fact, the first time. But the biggest thing for me is Diaz is now in a better spot than he was in Miami. Miami has unlimited resources. They have everything you could ever want on a college campus. You're by the ocean. You've got gorgeous girls. You've got gorgeous everything. But you've got people that are still stuck in the 80s and early 90s when Miami was the you. Now they're not the you. They are just – um, they are mid, middle tier in the big – I'm sorry, not the Big East anymore, but the ACC. At Duke, Mandy Diaz has got a great setup. He will always come in second more often than not to basketball. So there are far less boosters, far less people that will meddle in his program and what he's trying to do. Um, I do think his two-year stint at Penn State helped him grow as a coach. He got Everybody speaks um, pretty well about James Franklin, but I have not seen somebody like – talk about the way talk about him, the way that he does, anybody does like many Diaz, And I think that speaks volumes to what he was able to learn. Um, He did mention that the defensive staff had a lot of fun this year. I don't think it was the same thing in the offensive room, but you know, kudos to, to Diaz. I think this is a really good time for him. You know, his value is super high Um, and it does, it does sink for Penn state. Let's, let's not, let's be real here. You know, They've got a great defense. They've got some great guys returning, but ultimately, he wanted to be a head coach again, and and he gets that he gets that opportunity. But now Penn State's got to find a DC. Um, there are some names that are still available. You can still go out and get somebody, um, or you can promote from within. And I'm not quite sure, you know, what the the best move is. I I wouldn't be opposed to Anthony Poindexter. Poindexter, um, but a, a name that I've seen pretty common out there is is Tom Allen from from Indiana I'm not quite sure if that's something that he would want to do but uh, immediately when he got fired I I thought Tom Allen could be a name um that he could be um coming to Penn State as an analyst or or a coach or or something else
1: yeah Tom Allen's a natural uh has a natural gravitational pull there being another Big Ten head coach he's experienced in the conference another guy who's experienced in the conference is Tony White from Nebraska. Nebraska has not had the best teams um, the last four, five, six years or however long they've been in the Big Ten. Um, Even, quite frankly, before then. And he's had a top 25 defense the last three seasons at Nebraska. Imagine what he can do with Penn State's talent level on defense. Um, Al Golden, Penn State alumnus as a tight end from Notre Dame. Notre Dame hasn't been doing diddly squat and has been underperforming, so maybe it's time for a change of scenery for him. And then somebody just kind of from out of left field is Zach Arnett from Mississippi state fired as their head coach runs an aggressive defensive style at three, 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 five, which I'm not probably too keen on in the big 10, probably not going to work as well against Michigan, but it'd work probably well against Ohio state who has four first round wide receivers every year. Um, But maybe that's a guy who can adapt to the big 10 lifestyle. I don't know. That's, those are probably the three names that I'm looking at. Is point extra a bad hire? No. Um, but James Franklin had plenty of good offensive candidate, candidates on the offensive side for OC and went external. And if you look to the NFL and Joe, a guy that you and I root for, Mike Tomlin, he's hired from within for the last 10 years, and we see how well that's gotten him. So if you settle for the best guy in-house, you may, be, you may not be settling for the actual best candidate. So does this point extra have a shot to be defensive coordinator? Certainly but I'm sure it is going to be a national coaching search like it was on the offensive side.
2: Yeah. And they'll take their time with it. I think Um, there's no reason, even though um, it's a little late in the game, as far as coaching searches go, I still don't think there's any reason to rush. I mean, this is a great place to coach defense. It's a place that a lot of people are going to want to come to. A good example is, uh, Last year, uh, all the way in March, so we're talking near the start of the next spring season. Penn State lost a position coach. I know a position coach is not a coordinator, but still, they lost John Scott, a position coach, and Penn State waited about a month um, to make that hire and ended up hiring Dion Barnes. Who James Franklin has admitted that he had no intention of hiring at all, but then the interview went so well that he ended up Barnes ended up playing himself into contention and got the job and has done. Uh, pretty well um, I would say uh, in his brief uh, tenure as a full-time coach but I think that uh, the nice thing here is that um, Penn State has proven that it can have success promoting from within and going from the outside all you got to do is look at the past two coordinators Brent Pry was already on the coaching staff when Bob Shoup left he got promoted and hit a home run and, and now he's coaching at Virginia Tech and then obviously Manny Diaz was from the outside and that worked out great too. And now he's way down to a coaching job. So I think um, from a defensive standpoint, you can talk about James Franklin's success or lack of success in hiring offensive coordinators. That's been spotty at best over his tenure, but defensively, man, he is free for free so far. I know things didn't end well with James Franklin and Bob Shoot, but shoots defenses produced and that's why he was able to get another job and then brent pry and Manny Diaz, uh, we just talked about so uh, yeah i think um there's very little reason to believe that james franklin won't get this right uh whether that's um from within and if it's from within that's logic dictates it's going to be anthony point next or it's from the outside with somebody like tom allen or al golden uh we'll see but i think there's no reason to believe that they're not going to nail this hire just based on the prior history
0: and that's one of the things that James Franklin predicates himself on too, right? He, he has his list of people that he wants. and He keeps that running list that he has mentioned multiple times over the years about future coaches, future everything. So it'll be interesting to see what route they decidedly take. This has not impacted recruiting whatsoever, it seems. Nope. So there's a plus to that. But I'm, I'm very intri- intrigued to see what's going to happen moving forward for them. But what's going to happen moving forward for us is we're going to head straight to the next break to talk more about the transfer portal and what's next for college football this year when we come back on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the Lashing Out Podcast and the Nick Sports Now Network. I'm Jared, they are Kevin and Joe. Joe gentlemen, the, gentlemen, the portal, portal got, got lit up this up. weekend or yeah. this week with everything opening on Monday, um, December um, 4th. And there were some big, big names, names that were that were listed in the portal. Um, portal none bigger, bigger than, than literally every big time quarterback we're back all throughout the country, it's or so it seems,
1: yeah. And the curious, the most curious one is Kyle McCord. What, what's the dynamic there at Ohio State? Where your first year starting quarterback, you he only, he only nope. lose to Michigan, let's be real, you only lost one game. Didn't look exactly prolific in that, um, it really at all this year, he didn't really look that prolific. But did Ryan Day come to him and say, Hey, buddy. I got Louis Vuitton coming in. Uh, You need to pack your bags. Um, So it'd be interesting to see where that is. I've seen potentially Cam Ward coming to Ohio state for his last year of eligibility. Uh, But yeah, transfer portal. It's wild and wonderful.
2: Yeah. You got to wonder if the fan, the fan base of Ohio state might've been getting the Kyle McCord a little bit, because this was not a popular guy at all. And you're, you're talking about a guy and this guy is obviously nowhere close to Justin Fields or CJ Stroud or Dwayne Haskins, but still he completed, I think about 65% of his passes this season at Ohio state. Uh, those that's a pretty solid rate. 24 touchdowns, six interceptions, eighth highest QBR in the nation. Uh, those are pretty solid numbers, but our at Ohio state um, is so high. And, when You're not uh, meeting that, uh, fair or not, and especially when you don't play well against Michigan, which I don't think Cal McCord played well in that game, which Kevin you just mentioned, but um, that's gonna create um, a lot of outside criticism, and that's a hard thing, uh, for a college kid uh, to handle. So maybe that was part of it. Um, maybe I don't know if Ryan Day uh, would have uh said anything to him, but uh, yeah, when when you go 11 and one and end up transferring, uh, that's not a usual thing. Uh, So the reasons aren't as obvious. I don't think as they would be uh, with in in most transfer cases.
0: Yeah. That one was, that one was weird to me, but that was bizarre. But you know, then you look at Dylan Gabriel who's, who's transferring um, to Oregon. It's just a carousel of transfers. I think that's, what's, what's really weird now for Penn State's sake, They've only lost three players. And I think the biggest name there is Alex Pachetta, who is the backup punter. That means that Riley Thompson is back for another two years um, for with his eligibility. So, you know, the, they haven't really been hit very hard with that yet. Now, Penn State does have to hit the portal, I think, uh, for the receivers. Uh, they do have to improve that, that receiving room quite a bit. But so far through the first week, Penn state hasn't really been hit hard. And they're one of the few schools that hasn't been hit hard by the transfer portal. And to me, what I see when I, what I, what I think when I see that is that means James Franklin's honest with his players. That means that they're laying out the expectations and then meeting them. I mean, you look at a guy like Bo Prabula, he is getting playing time. He probably could transfer Jackson Smollett could probably transfer seeing as drew Aller um, was even rumored to be transferring, depending on how the, coordinator search went but as Kevin alluded to these guys are committing to James Franklin and Penn State the university rather than a coordinator or a coach and I think that speaks volumes to the culture of the program at Penn State but it also helps in times like these when you know you've got an NIL backing that's pretty solid with Happy Valley United and you've also got a a really good thing going in Happy Valley.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, potentially Bo Nix is trying to come back for his last year eligibility. And Dylan Gabriel's already announced his intention to transfer to Oregon. So that uh, that might change. Um, there's 90 or 95 quarterbacks available in the transfer portal right now out of 130 some FBS teams. So for Penn State to not even lose one quarterback to the transfer portal with um, Ethan Grunkenmeier coming in, you have Jackson Smolik, you have Bo Pabula, all of those are not going to get playing time behind Drew Aller for you know unless there's an entry there so it's it speaks volumes to what James Franklin is doing how he's running the program and the kind of people he's bringing in and you know they're they're a the high level program and they're keeping people on board and how do you, how do you be successful in college football how are you successful in the NFL you play a lot of football in college you just look at the amount of quarterbacks in the NFL who started 3 or 4 years in college versus the kids who started 1 or 2 years in college the kids who started three or four years, or even in Pennix's case, five years, maybe six years in college football, they're so much more ready to go to the NFL. And how do you build a successful program? You look at the guys, you look at the teams that have, you know, more than 50% of their starters are third and fourth year juniors, seniors, super seniors. Those those teams are way more successful than like, let's say Kentucky basketball with four freshmen starting for every season. So, yeah. That's the quarterback situation, but there's 209 available wide receivers in the transfer portal. Penn State needs to find at least one or two of them. They need they need somebody. KLS is gone, and honestly, with Trey Wallace and Malik McLean coming back as probably the top – those are the, going to be the two top wide receivers next year. Hopefully, Tyler Warren doesn't commit to the NFL. I know Thea Johnson has, but he's also committed to playing in the bowl game, which is good for Penn State, but uh, the receiver room is – the. the area that needs to be improved the most, probably next to D tackle. And it's going to be interesting to see if, if they're able to uh, woo any of the 209 available wide receivers in the portal uh, to come to happy Valley.
2: Yeah. KLS could be back next season. He has another year of eligibility, but we'll see what he decides. Uh, but yeah, I think in this is year three of the transfer portal. Has Penn state ever lost a starter to the portal? Like Steve on like Lee
0: and Noah Kane are probably the two closest but they probably were. They at the time of their transfer, they were not starters.
2: Right,
1: Justin Shorter, but he didn't start.
2: No, so th- those are all like kind of fringe guys. Yeah, they had, <laughs> they had
0: middle of the road players, not necessarily the middle of the road, but guys that weren't impact players hit the portal there.
2: Yeah, and that, yeah, that's just uh, that's pretty impressive stuff. When whenever a guy enters the portal from Penn State, nobody really. That's an eye. I think the most surprising transfer I can remember was a freshman that had never played a game yet. Ken Talley doing it like a few, maybe a week in the fall camp leaving for Michigan. He ended up leaving for Michigan state. Uh, That was pretty weird, but that wasn't a guy that had gone a lot of playing time. So uh, yeah, Kevin, you said that well, Uh, Penn state's a school that definitely knows how to keep players as far as getting players from the transfer portal. Maybe a bit of a different story so far. Chop Robinson, absolutely great. Outstanding. That is by far the best uh, transfer portal uh, addition they've gotten. But, you know, other guys, uh, Dante Cephas was supposed to be a big get. That didn't end up turning out. Um, Malik McLean still has time, but that hasn't really uh, panned out so far. Uh, Both of those guys were receivers. Um, You also have players like Alonzo Ford, who I think would have gotten some time at D-tackle. He ends up getting hurt. Uh, We'll see what begins with him. But, um, I think Penn State still has room to build its reputation in obtaining uh, uh, that type of transfer portal uh, talent. Um, aside from Chop Robinson, and uh, yeah, now's the time to do it, especially at that receiver position. I think two receivers in this cycle—that uh, is—that's the minimum for me.
1: Arnold Ebaquie was also a transfer. Yeah. Uh,
2: that's that is a big omission. Yes, it, he was great. They're yeah. They have some solid guys, uh, but uh, those two guys on the edge, chopping AK, definitely stick out above all else.
0: And I think that's that's the other thing too is that you know the, the transfer portal is so hit or miss, right? You know, long live the, the legacy at Penn State of Storm Duck, um, but but you they it's it, it's kind of like. Well, you, know, you never know what you're going to get. It is 100% a box of chocolates. Um, are they going to fit in? Are they going to be good culture picks? Um, are they going to be able to get into school? And I think that's probably the issue at Penn State that happens the most, both in recruiting and this. Um, but for the most part, Penn State's done a great job at, at keeping guys like that um, there and in the fold. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this continues to play out after bull practices, um, after finals week, and that's kind of the big thing for them uh, is is keeping those guys intact to keep this roster intact and heading into next year after the bowl game with some momentum and, and looking to, you know, make the college football playoff for the first time when it expands to 12 teams next year. But we're going to talk a little bit about what happened over the weekend in college football, despite there not being more than just the army Navy game. When we come back for the third and final segment of the lashing out podcast on the Nittany sports. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Esports Now Network. They are Kevin and Joe. I am Jared. Gentlemen, my favorite rivalry is not Penn State because they don't have a rival. They are, in fact, unrivaled. It's not Michigan and Ohio State in the game. But my favorite rivalry game is 100% Army-Navy. And I, what what is great to me is it gets its own weekend every year. All eyes are on, on the Army-Navy game. I was fortunate enough to go to the Army-Navy game in 2021. um, And it was one of the coolest experiences ever. It's probably the most, probably the safest I've ever felt at a game. um, Knowing that if anything were to ever happen, um, I was probably in good hands uh, with the people that were there. Um, One of the biggest things is they hit the over in the Army-Navy game, which is very rare. Um, And they did it by Army running out of the end zone um, for a safety to win the game.
1: Yeah. Navy, Navy had a chance to, to end it late. Or uh, excuse me, tie it up late. They were down what eight um, in the final seconds. An army comes up with a goal line stand uh, from the two yard line. That was about all I caught of the game. Um, but yeah, it's it's a national staple, and like the tagline says, it's it's the only game where everybody on the field is willing to die for everybody in the stands. And uh, you know, kudos to those guys for pursuing their dream both on on the football field and after after their careers in college are over, and then they're going to go on serve serve uh, in the armed forces so kudos to them
2: yeah and uh growing up um, i remember obviously the pageantry and the spectacle of the army navy game that's all that's always been there it's always going to be there no matter what happens in the game but it's definitely a bonus i would say that over the past uh 10 years or so, um, eight, 10 years. I think the quality of the game has picked immensely, up immensely, immensely, in the last two, taking where I'm been. I don't, I don't know if it might not have been instant classics. Um, I don't know if I'd label them that, but they've really been some pretty damn entertaining football games. Uh, you look 2021, uh, Navy upset army, uh, a was 13 win, uh, last year that, Overtime game that ended up costing uh, Ken new Montalolo his job at Navy, and then this season with um that exciting finish. So um yeah, it, it's kind of, it really is kind of like Ohio State Michigan um right where Ohio State and Michigan that was a pretty one sided affair uh, for a while um Ohio State was just mopping the floor, but obviously the past few years it's starting to go the other way, and the games are becoming. Um, must see tv for reasons other than just the fact that they're a rivalry game so yeah army navy um the spectacle and the meaning of the game uh which both you two hit on well uh, that's always going to be there but it's definitely a bonus uh that the games have been becoming quite entertaining in addition to just the fact that they're the army navy game so
0: Exactly, but that wasn't the only thing that was interesting this weekend. The Heisman Trophy ceremony was Saturday night as well. Jaden Daniels of LSU, formerly of ASU, Arizona State, uh, rival of Kevin's beloved Arizona Wildcats. Um, he won the Heisman, and um, for those of you wondering at home, J.J. McCarthy did get the Heisman vote. Not quite sure how that happened, but that's still Phenomenal nonetheless, Um, but Jane Daniels just lit up college football, lit up the SEC and the offense for LSU in a big way. I mean, he had more offensive, more passing yards than Penn State had offensive yards. He just, and Kevin and I were talking about this before we went live, he just had the the amount of yards and amount of touchdowns that he accounted for were just absolutely insane this year. And I think he's a pretty good addition to the Heisman house.
1: Yeah, it's the first time or the second time that a player not in the college football playoff has won the Heisman. Uh, he's the third or fourth behind Lamar and RG3, I believe, to have three losses. Um, yeah, it, it came down to touchdowns. He had 17 more touchdowns than Michael Panix Jr. And in a 12-game regular season, that's 1.5 more touchdowns per game that he scored. He was the, I wouldn't say he was the best college football player. I, I I think that goes to somebody else, but he had the most outstanding season. If that's what you want to vote for in the Heisman, that's perfectly fine. I think it's a coin flip between Penix and and Daniels and, you know, congrats to him, Joe and I famously in our, uh, in our preseason episode, both said there ain't no way in hell that he's winning the Heisman. Um, We both were rather dismissive of him. So I think that's a mea culpa on our parts. But, you know, congrats to him. Congrats to LSU for their second Heisman Trophy winner. And I believe his numbers this year were better than Joe Burrow's numbers um, in his national championship and Heisman Trophy winning season. So if only LSU had a defense.
2: Yeah, and I think Jane Daniels is – probably the most random Heisman winner I can remember in a while. And I, I don't say that in a bad way. I think it's a nice change of pace from what you usually see with, oh, this guy is the best player on a team that has a chance to win the championship. He wins the Heisman. That that stuff gets kind of boring. And um, I think this is even kind of a more random choice than even um, – so, Kevin, you mentioned the RG3 and Lamar Jackson. Both of those guys were on multi-loss teams, but they were also – everywhere like in the media like they were everybody was talking about them jane daniels didn't really have that like college football fans knew who he was but he wasn't somebody to kind of dominate the headlines i don't think like those two guys did and i think yeah i he daniels would have had my vote if i had it it would have been between him probably between him and Penix. but um, i'm kind of glad to see uh kind of the heisman going away from the norm uh, and voting for a guy that was on a two loss team and uh yeah he, he's an absolute stud and i think it's well deserved and who knows what happens if lsu's defense matched its offense it would have been like might have been like 2019 again over in tiger town and baton rouge but yep good on Jaden daniels and we'll see what happens next year so i i think very
1: i think what kind of put Jaden daniels into ambiguity they lost week one to florida state and then they yeah. lost week five to old miss they had two yeah. losses real quick and were just out of the national picture yeah. and even like that,
2: that kind of goes back to lamar like he he carved up florida state who was number two he did that in week two so he put himself out there right away and then rg free was kind of uh he was he was he probably was a bit uh a bit anonymous too, um. but uh, he was the guy that was a multi-year starter, a Baylor four-year starter. So his name was really kind of out there um, in the college football world. Uh, but yeah, Daniels is definitely a random winner, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: No, by no means is that bad. Now friends of Penn state football and fans of Penn state football would be in, uh, interested to find out that drew Aller was listed as one of the top 10 Heisman foes. Um, hopefuls for next year, um, already, those are some lofty expectations for a, for a guy that played in an offense that was not great this year, but again, there's going to be so much more college football to come. And I think we're just gearing up for the, for the spiciness of, of the transfer portal, uh, as players decide where they're going to go. Juliana Fleming, former Penn state commit, um, was on campus, uh, and in state college, uh, earlier this week, so that would be – I'm not quite sure how that would work out in the, in the wide receiver room, um, but he's got a visit heading to, to Nebraska uh, as well. So there are, there are options there. There are people visiting. Um, but for Penn State, now it's just tying up loose ends uh, for recruiting. Early, resi- early signing period um, – early signing day is December 20th. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they get there. I think that's pretty, all lock- pretty well locked up. Um, but for them, it's finding guys that are in the portal – getting a defensive coordinator. And I think those are the things right now that are are currently on coach Franklin's Christmas list.
1: Yep. And just get ready for the peach bowl. we got 20 days until then national signing day is halfway between there and now. And um, yeah, hopefully get a DC this week. I I think it should be, it should happen this week. If it doesn't, it's going to happen after the bowl game. And like I guys have, like I've told you guys, it's, it's going to be important for him to get whoever the new DC is to at least get some of these bowl practices under his belt, get familiar with the team, get familiar with the scheme that they're currently running to try to kind of get some of the brain dump that Manny Diaz left behind um, so that, you know, this this defense is just as successful next year, if not even more.
0: Exactly. And that's, I think, you know, the big thing is there, get that DC in there. You know, they are off for finals week this week. Um, so get finals wrapped up, get those grades up. And then go from there. And for Penn State now, it's it's almost on to bowl prep. Uh, but the biggest thing now is that they have those opportunities to get that development in. Jim Franklin's been helicoptering all around. He was he saw him at the state championship games at, uh, in Cumberland Valley in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, earlier this uh, weekend. Uh, and now he's back in Happy Valley, I would imagine, looking for a new defensive coordinator, unless it's already in the same building. Any parting shots before we hit the road? Keep in mind, we are doing one lashing out uh, a week up until the week of the bowl game, where we will finally have two. Joe and I will be on location in Georgia uh, at the Peach Bowl coming up here in a uh, little under three weeks now, and I think we're very, very much looking forward to the first live broadcast edition of the Lashing Out podcast.
2: Absolutely, I think um. One thing to watch in the Peach Bowl is the quarterback matchup. Drower Jackson Dart should be a pretty good one. Jackson and Dart was also on that Heisman list that uh, Jared mentioned earlier. So,
1: and the question will be Will Mississippi State's defense show up? Or Probably not. Miss. Sure, all I'm miss. Not sure if all sure Mississippi is
0: State's deep. defense is going to show up. Perhaps all miss. Ole miss is wrong Mississippi.
1: My bad. Mississippi's fresh on my mind with. uh Mr. Arnett as one of my candidates for DC. That's my fault.
0: Yeah. Well, while Kevin figures out which school Penn State's playing in the bowl game, we're going to take another week off. And we'll, maybe we'll, when we come back next week, Kevin will know what team Penn State plays in the Peach Bowl. For Kevin Quigley and Joe Smeltzer, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. We'll talk to you again.